brown synthetic fur, round little ears, and black buttons for eyes. I knew him as well as I knew my own face. My own name. He had been in my life for as long as I could remember. In fact, one of my earliest memories was watching my mom hold him by one of his paws, dangling him at a careful distance from herself, as if she was holding something dangerous, or revolting, or both. His name was Mr. Abad. Sometimes we simply called him the teddy bear because of what he looked like. A simple little teddy bear. One that had been so well loved. That stuffing spilling out of the rips of his body. Most of the time, he had no mouth. But sometimes, he smiled. We don't know where he came from. My dad said Mr. Abad had always been in his life, that his dad had gotten it from his grandfather, that his grandfather had gotten it from his grandfather, and so on. His family speculated about deals made with the devil, stolen cursed objects that haunted their thieves, or a child's ghost that haunted their favorite stuffed toy. But honestly, no one knew the truth. No one could speak to Mr. Abad's origins, if he even had any. We passed Mr. Abad to each other every three weeks. No more, no less. My dad would pass it to my mom, my mom to me, me to my sister, and then she'd hand it off to Aunt Linda. Aunt Linda's family would pass it around themselves, and then to our other relatives. My dad had two sisters and four brothers. We would have around three months of peace before Mr. Abad slowly made his way back to us. And trust me, he always came back. Always. When I was young, I didn't have to take my turn holding Mr. Abad. So I took that peace and safety for granted. I don't anymore. Mr. Abad brings bad luck. That's the only way I can describe it. You might be laughing right now, or skeptical, because bad luck doesn't sound like such a big deal. Maybe it's not when you have a little bit of it, here and there, but when bad luck is in your life for three straight weeks, each week stretching out into the horizon before you, like a road to hell, it feels like an eternity feels like drowning at the bottom of a deep well. We weren't allowed to let go of Mr. Abad, not until it was time to pass him off to someone else. My dad told us that. He showed my sister Anna and me the scars on his leg and talked about the time he forgot to keep touching Mr. Abad. Dad had only forgotten for a couple of minutes, but Mr. Abad hurt him anyway. My dad had a permanent limp because of it. The first week would start off small. If I didn't have Mr. Abad in my arms, I wouldn't have even thought it was necessarily bad luck. I would lose my favorite pair of socks or forget a homework assignment. Maybe I'd accidentally knock over something valuable or expensive. Somehow, I'd run into previously opened doors or jam my fingers when a window slammed shut on them. 
that was a week full of minor injuries. It was like being the target of some petulant toddler's scorn and whimsy. Inconvenient, yes, but hardly life-threatening. The second week, things would ramp up. Someone would steal my bike or knock my phone out of my hands. If that happened, I knew I'd never find my bike or phone again, at least not on this side of the grave. But most importantly, during the second week of bad luck, I couldn't cross any streets because any time I tried, a car would barrel straight at me from some street that had been empty just seconds before. And when that would happen, I would only barely make it back on the sidewalk. So, I stopped walking to school during my second week of holding Mr. Abad. My mom drove me, even though my school was only two minutes away by car. The third week was the worst week of all because that's when Mr. Abad stopped playing and started trying to hurt us in earnest. I remember the time that I, against my parents' warnings, ventured out to grab some candy bars and magazines. Mr. Bod was with me, of course. He rode in my backpack, and his head poked out of the unzipped top. On my way to the nearest 7-Eleven, a route that I had walked countless times, someone dragged me into an alleyway I had never even noticed before. He wore a mask that only had holes for his eyes and nose. I couldn't tell what he looked like under it, whoever he was. He beat me badly enough that he broke three fingers on my right hand. Then he took everything except Mr. Abad and left me for dead. I have just the briefest memory of that time. What I remember is choking on my own blood barely able to breathe, my arms screaming with pain. I remember turning my head and seeing Mr. Abad sitting right by my face. And as I watched, he smiled at me with a small, sly smile, his black eyes gleaming with pleasure and satisfaction. I looked into those eyes and knew that he would do unspeakable things to me before I died. But I didn't die. My parents grew worried for me and called my phone. I didn't pick up because by then my phone had been stolen. So they went out in search of me. Anna told me that my dad had to be the one to drive me to the hospital because my mom went hysterical when she saw me. After that, my parents instituted a new rule. My sister and I weren't allowed to leave the house if it was our third week holding Mr. Abad. And I was thankful for that rule because I didn't want to think about what would have happened to me if my parents hadn't found me. Even while confined to our house, bad luck dogged my footsteps. Of course it did. I couldn't go outside, but I still held Mr. Abad. One time, I even stumbled over nothing and fell down the stairs, fracturing my knee. Another time, I dropped some dishes while washing them 
and their broken shards flew straight towards my eyes. I managed to turn my head aside at the last moment, but they still sliced my face open, leaving a deep cut from my left eye down to my chin. And that cut became infected. My parents were too scared to take me to the emergency room. What if we get into a car crash on the way there? What if the nurses made me let go of Mr. Abad? We ended up asking our family doctor to do a home visit. And another time, once again during my third week of bad luck, I tried to cook dinner and I ended up setting the kitchen on fire. It was only my sister's quick thinking that saved us from being burnt alive. Eventually, when it was my third week of holding Mr. Abad, I just stayed in my room. I would lie in my bed, staring straight at the ceiling, feeling his warm, soft, repulsive body wriggling against my side. Like I said, I don't take safety for granted anymore. Two years after I first started taking my turn with Mr. Abad, Aunt Linda ran away. She packed up her kids, took nothing but clothes on her family's backs, and left no note. Her extremely puzzled neighbors were the ones who notified us that she disappeared. We knew why she left. My parents, more generous than me, however, made excuse after excuse for her. With such a big family and kids so young, it's hard. My dad said, It must be exhausting taking care of everyone all by herself, especially without a husband. My mom said, I said nothing, because I didn't trust my own voice. What I wanted to do was track Linda down and punch her, beat her, until her face turned lumpy and misshapen. How dare she run away from her responsibility to Mr. Abad? How dare she leave us like this? But all my rage just masked what I really felt, which was jealousy. A tiny voice inside of me said, I wish that were me. I wish I could just run away. Yet even then, none of us had any idea how much worse Mr. Abad could get. We passed him around from person to person because doing so somehow distilled the bad luck he brought to each person by themselves. But with Linda and her family gone, that was five less people to share the bad luck with, to thin it down for each other. Five less people standing between us and his twisted games. When I turned 16 years old, Anna died, and I still blame myself, even now. At the time she breathed her last breath, I was at school, completely unaware that anything was wrong. Because of my frequent absences, I kept having to do remedial classes to try to catch up with kids who were much younger than me. While she screamed and cried and begged for mercy, I doodled in my notebook and thought about how boring math was. The first thing I saw as I walked into the cul-de-sac where my house stood, 
was the ambulance in our driveway. The lights were on, flashing red and blue around us, but sunlight diminished the effect somewhat. The second thing I saw was my mom standing outside our house, looking small and defeated. And the final thing I saw was that none of our neighbors came to offer us any sympathy or words of comfort. They stood outside in their front yards and stared out their living room windows, but they wouldn't come near us. I'd noticed this before. That time I'd been mugged, I screamed until I nearly dislocated my jaw, but no one came to help me. My teachers were the same. They should have been concerned that I kept showing up with injuries and that I was failing almost all of my classes, but they weren't. It was as though my family lived inside our own circle of hell, and on some level, everyone knew we were cursed, so they stayed away from us and didn't notice we needed help. Mom, I said, out of breath because I'd run the whole way to our house. Mom, what happened? For a moment, I didn't think she had heard me. She stared off into the distance, her eyes blank and shiny like the black buttons. Finally, she said slowly, Tana, we're not sure what happened. We think she let go of the bear. If she said more, I couldn't hear it over the rushing sound in my ears. Horror choked my throat. I wanted to ask if Anna was okay. Was my sister alright? But I knew the answer without her even telling me. I turned and ran into the house, somehow convinced that this was a mistake and that Anna would be just inside doing her homework or watching TV. And if that was the case, I wouldn't even be angry at her. I would have just gave her a hug and tell her how worried she had made us. I ran past photographs of the four of us, all of us smiling and looking at the camera as if we didn't have a care in the world, as if we weren't cursed by bad luck. I checked all the bedrooms first before I ran back downstairs, and then I checked the living room, and then I checked my dad's study. Everything looked normal, untouched, until I reached the kitchen. I stopped for one full minute, just stopped. I stopped moving, stopped even breathing, because I could see the blood everywhere, and the knives. So many knives scattered all across the kitchen, nearly everyone a different size. There were the huge knives you would use for butchering, and the small knives you would use for peeling fruits. Steak knives, knives with serrated edges and the knives with smooth ones. They stuck onto the floors, into the walls, and some even hung from the ceiling, as if some great force flung them upwards. Blood trailed from the knives and pulled on the floor. I didn't know that anyone, any human, could hold that much blood inside of them. In the middle of all those knives, I saw the shape of my sister, where they had to pull the knives out of the floor 
and out of her body so that they could take her to the ambulance. And of course, sitting on the floor next to all of those knives, his light brown fur somehow untouched by all of that deep red blood. Before I finish telling the rest of this story, I want to give a shout out to a new short story horror podcast that launched a few months ago called Among the Shadows, hosted by Cade Rogers and Gregory Neal. Among the Shadows brings you terrifying tales on a weekly basis and aims to make your skin crawl and your mind wander in the dark. So if you want even more terrifying tales, head over to Among the Shadows. You can find them wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to follow them on Twitter at ATS Horror, as they are simply dying to hear from you. Things changed after that. Of course they did. And it was everyone's favorite. Yes, I can admit that. It would have been easy to hate her for being clever and brave and beautiful. Except that she was kind to everyone. Sometimes I thought we'd been born in the wrong order. That Anna was really my older sister and I was the younger one. And don't get me wrong. We had our petty sibling rivalries. Fights about whose turn it was to take out the trash, or who was taking too long in the shower. But she was my sister, and I loved her. My dad blamed my mom for what had happened. He had been at work, and my mom had been responsible for watching Anna and Mr. Abad. We all knew what happened was really Mr. Abad's fault, but dad needed someone to blame. And my mom simply took his anger, his shouting, his insults. And instead of defending herself, she hung her head and she began to drink. Gin and tonics in the morning, a few glasses of wine in the afternoon, whiskey and vodka at night. Our living room became a makeshift dumpster. I would come home from school to find empty bottles around her two feet deep in some places. Mom was a pale ghost that sit in front of the TV all day and night, unmoving. Sometimes I wonder how much my mom regretted her decision to marry my dad, to marry all into this madness. It wasn't a question of if, it was a question of how much. Dad said he'd told her about Mr. Abad before they married but she might not have believed him. I mean, who would? I knew that if she could run away, if she could unspool time to back before she met my dad, she wouldn't have made this same choice. She loved Anna and me, but she wouldn't have married him. Three weeks after Anna died, Mr. Abad came back. He had disappeared from the kitchen and we knew he hadn't gone to any of dad's brothers. So we had thought maybe, just maybe, he left. It's hard for me to write this, because even now, I feel ashamed. But truth is truth. Selfishly, 
part of me hoped that Anna's death had been enough for Mr. Abad, that he wouldn't hurt us anymore because he had gotten what he wanted. But he came back. He always came back. The day Mr. Abad came back, my dad and I were the ones to find him. He sat on our doorstep, his eyes twinkling merrily, as if only he knew the punchline to this joke. I saw the look on my dad's face as he picked Mr. Abad up, and I was afraid. His eyes didn't look rational, not at all. His eyes belonged in the face of some wild animal, driven to the brink of madness. Some animal that had been forced to gnaw its right paw off to escape the trap. I tried to take Mr. Abad from Dad, but he wouldn't let me. He tucked Mr. Abad under his left arm and walked towards the kitchen. The blood had been wiped clean. Everything had been set back in order, but we all avoided being in the kitchen as much as possible. Takeout overfilled our trash cans. There was an unpleasant smell from the fridge because none of us had cleaned it or even opened it. My dad strolled over to the switch by the sink and turned on the trash disposal. I knew then what he planned to do, and I ran in front of him, trying to block him off with my body. I might as well have tried to stop a semi-truck from running me down. My dad pushed me aside, so hard that I banged my head against a wall, and tears came into my eyes. Dad leaned over the sink and started to lower Mr. Abad. I saw Mr. Abad's face right before he disappeared into the drain. He smiled at me. Dad, no! I knew what was going to happen. It was like being trapped in a nightmare. When you know that you need to run, to move, but you can't move quickly no matter how hard you try. I reached out for my dad, wanting to pull him back from the sink before it was too late. I reached out with a hand that seemed to weigh a thousand pounds. My dad slipped on something. It shouldn't have happened. There was no logical reason for it to have happened, but it did. First, his hand, then his entire arm, disappeared down the sink into that hungry black drain. Tufts of brown fur flew into the air, into our faces, then blood. It must have taken a few seconds for the pain to truly hit because my dad was silent at first, and then he screamed, a high, piercing shriek that was pure agony. The cords of his neck stood out, and his face turned gray, lips drawn down and eyes bulging with horror. Finally, I was able to move normally again. Finally, I was able to sprint to that switch to slap it down frantically. Only a minute, maybe a minute and a half, had elapsed, but that was enough. My dad staggered backwards, his injured right arm held out, except arm wasn't the right word to describe it anymore. It had completely lost its shape. There were no fingers, nothing that looked remotely like a human arm. 
blood squirted out of where the hand had been. From his shoulders down, only tatters of flesh clung to the bone, some of them held together by the thinnest layer of skin. I caught glimpses of pale white bone peeking out of all of that shredded skin. I called 911, and my voice was as hoarse as if I had been the one that screamed. Send help! Please send help! It's my dad! Dad slid down the counter slowly, his legs collapsing underneath him like he was too tired to stand anymore. I thought, there's blood all over the kitchen again, and they'll never get it out. His blood was on me too. I could feel it on my face, like warm rain, that sweet metallic smell that is so distinctively the scent of blood filled the air. My mom came running to us from the living room. My dad's screams had woken her from her stupor. She slid on the blood, scrambled up and slid back down again, but she didn't even seem to notice. Her gaze remained fixed on the man she had been married to for the past two decades. We both knew he was dying. He was losing too much blood and his face was turning gray. The paramedics would never make it here in time. My mom slipped and slid her way to dad's side. She tried to pick him up, but he was too heavy and slippery with blood. So the best she could manage was to rest just part of his head on her lap. John, she said. John, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Dad didn't look at her. I don't think he even knew she was there. He looked at me and said, Anna, is it? And he died. I watched the light still out of his eyes. I watched his chest slowly stopped moving. I watched my dad die. And as I sat there in his cooling blood, listening to Mob sob as if her heart would fall out of her chest and shatter into pieces, I knew something. I knew that Mr. Abad would never, ever leave us alone. Not unless we killed him first. He wanted us to suffer, yes. But he wanted us to die even more. So he had to do something. I walked over to the sink, looked down, and saw what I knew I would see. Mr. Abad, staring back at me with a smile on his face. He had emerged from the trash disposal, miraculously whole. Even his fur looked perfect again. Shoving him down the garbage disposal hadn't worked. And that time Anna and I had nearly burnt to death, I'd seen Mr. Abad staring at us with his black button eyes, utterly untouched by the flames. What could I do? Mom! I shook her shoulder. She looked at me and I started crying too. Crying so hard that I could barely talk. Mom, we need to do something. She shook her head not understanding. We need to do something about him. I swallowed. Does Uncle Miles still have his boat stored in the harbor cove? Even with the motorboat, 
It took me four days to arrive at a part of the ocean that was deep enough for what I planned to do. I didn't need to cross the Atlantic Ocean or pilot this boat to the Mariana Trench. I just needed somewhere that wouldn't be easily disturbed. Somewhere quiet, cold, and dark. All the old tales say that things like salt and iron will help protect you. I was hoping that those old tales were right because I was about to plunge Mr. Abad into a shit ton of salt. I cut the engine and let the boat drift a bit. The boat rocking under my feet was soothing, peaceful, but I couldn't enjoy it because I was too worried about what Mr. Abad would do to me when he figured out why we were even here. I took a deep breath as I slid my backpack off my shoulders, and then, in one quick motion, I tore Mr. Abad out of the backpack. I expected him smiling at me, and I was right. Even so, I flinched, because this wasn't the small smile he had shown me before when my sister and dad died. No, this was a huge smile that ate up his entire face. He was literally smiling from cheek to cheek. I half expected that wide mouth to open, to reveal huge teeth for him to laugh out loud. An ominous crack resounded. I whipped my head around and saw, with a flash of terror, that my boat had sprung a leak. Water bubbled out of it, spurting down to where I stood. For a moment, I thought about giving up, about just navigating my way back to Harbor Code with Mr. Abad tucked safely under my arm. And then something spoke up. Something had seethed in silence for years. Something that had been inside me ever since I saw my mom holding Mr. Abad. That voice said, No, he doesn't get to win. I thought about the knives in the ceiling and the look in my dad's face when he called me Anna. I thought about the sound of my mom crying as if her heart had broken in that moment when I choked on my own blood and known I was going to die. And suddenly, all that anxiety and fear crystallized into a rage so intense that I could barely breathe. That rage drove out everything in my head, every thought and worry, and left only the overwhelming desire to finish this. Fuck you! I screamed at Mr. Abad. You're not going to win this time! Maybe I was going to die today. Maybe my boat would pull me down with it when it sank, and I would drown slowly and painfully. But Mr. Abad wasn't going to win. My mom was still alive, and if I had my way, she'd stay alive for another 20 years, another 30 or 40. I knelt down, and with shaking fingers, dug into my backpack for the last few items I brought with me. Two giant red bricks, a fragment of iron, and some heavy-duty twine. The boat began to list alarmingly to one side, but I slapped Mr. Abad against the iron and the red bricks and kept tying one knot after the other, my shoulders tense. 
and then it was done. The final knot tied. I staggered to my feet, one hand on the railing, and the other still holding Mr. Abad. His face had changed, and he no longer smiled at me. Instead, he snarled angrily at me, his huge teeth sharpening into fangs, his black button eyes beginning to multiply across his face. I threw him into the ocean. I tried to watch him sink, to make sure that he sank. But the dark blue sea swallowed him almost immediately. My boat continued to tremble underneath me, not from the movement of the waves this time, or at least not solely from it, but because it was sinking. I didn't even care. I waited for some one-liner to come into my head. I waited to feel something other than a deep numbness, but all I could think about was to look in my dad's eyes when he held Mr. Abad over the sink. Please let it be over. Please, God, let it be over. For the first time in my life, I was lucky. While my boat sank, another boat happened to be nearby. They noticed that I was clinging into the wreckage. They brought me back home, safe. It's been 13 years since that day. 13 years filled with joy and love. When Mr. Abad disappeared into those briny depths, it was like some great shadow lifted from our lives. I know mom feels the same way. It was harder for her. Hard to start living without fear again. Because she'd gotten so used to Mr. Abad as a permanent fixture in her life. What about me? Well, my grades shot up once I didn't have to worry about constantly being harassed or dying. I went to college. Something I had once thought was an impossible dream. And... I met someone there. Something else I never thought would happen. His name is Benjamin, and we married each other five years ago. He asked if I wanted a beach wedding, and I told him that I have crippling thalassophobia, so we got married inside a small chapel. My mom walked me down the aisle, even though by then she'd have to use a cane. She had too many injuries from all those years with Mr. Abad. Even now, we talk about moving her into an assistant living home, somewhere safe, where there are other people to help her. Ben and I also have a daughter. Her name is Annabelle, named after my sister. I look into her face, and I see my dad's eyes. I never go a day without missing dad and Anna. That's my only regret, that they died before they could meet my daughter. I find myself constantly wondering what they would have said, how my dad would have been a grandparent. I think about what words of wisdom he might have passed down to my daughter, words that she will never know. But why am I telling you all this now? Why am I telling you this when it's been 13 years since I threw Mr. Abad into the ocean. 13 years since my dad and Anna died. 
Because this morning, as I sat at our kitchen table and drank my coffee, I saw the following headline. Family swallowed by Florida sinkhole, feared dead. The article included a photo of the family. The years had changed their faces slightly, but I still recognized them. There was Aunt Linda. Her kids clustered around her, hugging each other and laughing. I sat there, the coffee going cold, the newspaper clenched tight in my fist. I sat there, and I was afraid. I don't know how long I would have stayed there, staring at the photos of my dead relatives. But just then, my daughter raced into the kitchen, nearly colliding with one of the kitchen chairs. Mommy, mommy, come look. Annabelle tugged on my hand, her face glowing with pleasure. Instantly, that fear faded away, and all I could feel was love for her. What is it, honey? Look, look, look! I stood up, allowing her to lead me. We went to the front door, and Annabelle stood on her tiptoes to reach the doorknob. She was so beautiful and perfect. It was hard to believe that someday she would be all grown up. Finally, she got the door open and pointed. Look at the teddy bear. It's smiling. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this story. Let's talk about it on Discord. Join my Discord by clicking the link in the description of this episode and send a chat in the discussion section to get this conversation going. Also, follow me on Instagram at TheScareCast for real-time updates and to connect with me. And if you have a scary story you would like to share, send them to Mike at TheScareCast.com. Or if you want to be on an episode of The Scarecast Radio, be sure to fill out the Google form linked in the description of this episode. If you want any text notifications when I release an episode, text Scarecast to 213-523-2890. This text marketing service is powered by Texanity. Also, shout out to Among the Shadows podcast. Please go check them out for even more scary stories. As always, thanks for listening. Be safe out there. And until next time.